chapter 12. We read the parable that the Lord spoke about the vineyard owner and the way in which he sent his servants, finally sent his son, and the Lord explained how they shamefully treated his servants and then they finally killed his son. They're so ruthless. And he spoke this against these chief priests, scribes, elders, Pharisees, all the people that really hated him because they had darkness in their hearts. In verse 12, we read yesterday <clears throat> that they sought to lay hold on him. They sought to capture him, but they feared the crowd because they knew that he had spoken the parable against them. So they left him and went away. And then the questions come again. Verse 13, Then they sent to him some of the Pharisees and the Herodians to catch him in his words. When they had come, they said to him, Teacher, we know that you are true and care about no one. You're not afraid of anyone. You don't try to adjust yourself. <clears throat> to please people or gain their favor. For you do not regard the person of men, but teach the way of God in truth. It's a bit of flattery setting him up. Is it lawful to pay taxes to Caesar or not? The way they phrased the question or they set him up was to evoke an answer that he'd say, of course, you should honor God and not pay taxes to Caesar. And they would have easily gone to the Roman authorities and said, he's defying Caesar. He just said it. Everybody heard it. It's time to kill him. They couldn't catch him the way they wanted to with their hands. They could catch him in his words and report him, tell on him. Shall we pay or shall we not pay? These are Jewish people. These are people who would get an answer either way to trap him. They thought they had him. It's very significant to see how the wisdom of God just evaded their trap. The wisdom of God in Jesus Christ. When they sought to throw him headlong, they sought to capture him and throw him off the cliff. It's written that the Lord just went right in the midst of them. He escaped. Nobody could find him. He just walked right out of that trap physically in here. In the words, he walks out of this trap. The question 
would require him to say, so they thought, either you pay taxes or you don't pay taxes. Of course, if he says we'll pay taxes, then he would be denying allegiance to the Lord, to God, because he would be bowing down to Caesar, the Romans who the Jewish people didn't like because they were oppressing them. If they said the opposite, we shouldn't pay taxes, then he'd be guilty of rebelling against the Roman authorities. They thought they can get him in trouble with the Jewish people. They thought they can get him in trouble with the Roman authorities. And this is flattery. It's a lesson to beware of a flattering mouth also within this parable. It's written in the book of Job. Job 17.5 The one who speaks flattery to his friends, even the eyes of his children will fail. God doesn't like flattery because it is hypocrisy as the Lord would charge these people. The Bible speaks of a flattering mouth that would work ruin. The Bible speaks of in the Psalms how the Lord will cut off flattering lips. With flattering lips, the evil woman seduced the victim. With flattering lips, And again, the flattering lips or flattering mouth works ruin. That's in Proverbs 26. And it's paired with another part of the verse in 26, 28 of Proverbs. That a lying tongue hates those who are crushed by it and a flattering mouth works ruin. The point here is the nice words that they said was actually concealing. So they hoped the utter hatred that they had for him. The Lord discerned what kind of spirit was speaking through them. Samson was flattered and there are people who get flattered as a kind of hero mentality and it's a dangerous thing to have not in the sense that a person would like to help people sacrificially but in a sense that that sacrificial help is actually concealing a desire to glorify oneself wanting to look good and have a good image such as people with wealth may exhibit care for society and for the underprivileged while the true motive might be 
for the tax write-off or an honor, how sickening it is for the God of the universe to watch people get awards and get recognized when, number one, they really don't care about the honor that comes from God, and number two, there's a lot of flattery going on back and forth, and people are not even right with God. When they're not even right within themselves, there's a contradiction. A lot of smiles and a lot of speeches, but a lot of hatred within, and a lot of love of self. They thought Jesus could be handled in that way, that if you say good things about him and flatter him, that he will fall. But their flattering lips, their flattering mouths could not ruin him because he had the gift, the spirit of discernment. He can see right through these people's hearts. And so the gift of discernment is listed in the book of First Corinthians chapter 12 is one of the supernatural abilities that God gives to certain individuals who can tell not by their own understanding or their own wisdom but a supernatural revelation that this person is actually not telling the truth and not what they appear there's a deceptive spirit, a demon working through them to try to catch people, try to take advantage of people. There's a level of street smarts and human intuition and experience that many people may possess where they can gather by their experience and by their human intuition and other reasonings that this woman this man something fishy something funny in a negative way about him or her where there's deception involved but the man or woman with the gift of discernment is able to spot something that other people cannot they're actually able to spot a demonic spirit working through another individual or a group of people when everybody else thinks it's God working. There's a gift. The Lord had the Holy Spirit without measure. You see that he knew exactly what's in the heart. I remember Ask her about overhearing a conversation that her mother had with one of their church folk. She was just there in the kitchen with her mother. Each was tending to her own particular duty. And the speakerphone was on, and there was another person who her mom really said is such a good person Pascrabe had no dealings with that and no real concern with that that she overheard as the person was speaking she had no knowledge of the person 
God showed her that person is a fraud. You could not detect from the speech at all, humanly speaking. And her mother thought, this person is such a good person and a person of truth. And immediately after the conversation, she told her mother, God is showing me what spirit is behind that person. Her mother defended her position and said, you don't know this person. We know this person. And this is what this person has done and said. And you're probably mistaken. But she said, but the Lord showed me as I hear the words, the spirit behind the person. And sure enough, sometime later, everything came out in the open. That's the gift of discernment. There's no intuition involved. There's no judgment involved of let's weigh the speech with the available evidence there or let's consult other opinions and what is their track record, you see? None of that. On the spot, the Holy Spirit revealed to her something she had nothing to do with, the spirit behind that person. Jesus had this without measure. He knew what's in the hearts of every person. He knew exactly the spirit by which people were operating. And flattery is one of the most dangerous things. We ought not to receive it, nor give it. Because it equals lie. It equals falsehood. But he, knowing their hypocrisy, said to them, Why do you test me? That would have been a shock to them. They thought it's a question that he can't avoid, and the only answer would be either or. There's no other answer. You can't shirk the responsibility to answer, then you'd be weak and you won't be um, reliable in the eyes of the audience here. <clears throat> he, knowing their hypocrisy, said to them, Why do you test me? Bring me a denarius that I may see it. You can just imagine the drama here. First of all, that question would have shocked them. It just exposed them. Their hearts are now... The second thing is, he's asking for a, a coin. What is he up to? So they brought it. And he said to them, Whose image? Can you picture him holding up the coin in front of them, Paul? Whose image and inscription is this? What's on this piece of money? They said, well, that image inscription belongs to Caesar. Maybe they thought they had him at this point. Well, he just acknowledged Caesar. He's a traitor to the Jewish people. But he wasn't done. Jesus answered and said to them something that really shows this is the wisdom of God. As the Bible says, he catches the crafty in their craftiness. He catches the crafty in their craftiness. How valuable this 
ability would be in our lives. How many times have we been deceived by people? How much damage has it cost us on various levels? How much damage has it cost other people we love because we didn't have the proper judgment? The answer he gave was render to Caesar the things that are Caesar's. Even at this point, they would have thought, this is wonderful. They can be seen perhaps rubbing their hands together. Now we've got him. He just asked whose image is on the coin. Now he goes further to say, give to Caesar what belongs to Caesar. Ah, traitor. He wasn't finished. He said, and one more thing. To God, you give the things that are God's. It just dumbfounded them. Totally took them by surprise and they marveled at him. You want me to make a public statement whether you should be loyal to Caesar, this foreign idolatrous, idolatrous ruler who wanted to be worshipped as God, or the living God, our Jewish God. I'm telling you, whoever you're supposed to fulfill your obligations to, do that. What a masterful, unanswerable unblameable reply. The next section, then some Sadducees, one by one, they're lining up to take a shot, if you will, at this rabbi who was regarded by many people as the Messiah. The Sadducees come along who say there's no resurrection. They came to him and they asked him, saying, Teacher, Moses wrote to us that if a man's brother dies and leaves his wife behind and leaves no children, his brother should take his wife and raise up offspring for his brother. Another group of people trying to set him up. So far, so good. Moses wrote this. This is how we understand it. Uh, the brother is obligated to honor the brother that had died as far as that other brother's family is concerned, that this brother who's living should go and uh, provide for that family, take his wife and raise a offspring for his brother, actually take the role of that brother quite literally. Now the setup further. Now there were seven brothers. The first took a wife. 
in dying, he left no offspring. And second took that brother's wife. And that second man, he died. And he didn't leave any children either. The third, the same thing happened. So the seven had her. And no one had any children. Finally, the woman died also. What a story. They are concocting here. Therefore, in the resurrection, when they rise, can you tell us who rightfully can call her his wife? Because after all, all seven of them had her his wife. What a question. What a story. What, what would happen if seven men claimed one woman to be the wife? How diabolical, mischievous these people. Jesus answered and said to them, this uh, quandary that they presented to him, he exposed their folly. He said, Your problem is that you don't know the scriptures and you don't know the power of God. You don't believe in the resurrection. You don't even know about the resurrection. You reject it. The knowledge that you're missing in this equation is that when people die, the earthly marriage bonds are dissolved. When they rise from the dead, they neither marry nor are given in marriage. There's no repeat ceremony or acknowledgement. But they're like the angels in heaven. But concerning the dead, we got to the heart of the matter, that they rise. Have you not read in the book of Moses in the burning bush passage how God spoke to him saying, I am the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. He is not the God of the dead, but the God of the living. You are therefore greatly mistaken. You're putting a question to me because you don't believe in the resurrection. There is a resurrection. People do rise from the dead. God is not called, I was the God of Abraham, I was the God of Isaac, and I used to be the God of Jacob. Now they're gone. No, he said, I am. All of them are living. In the next life, they're very much alive. He's not God of the dead, but the God of the living. They're therefore greatly mistaken. It illustrates for us also how we can pick and choose what portion of Scripture we would like to have and what things we'd like to neglect. It's not the option presented by the Lord because He wants us to believe everything, read everything, understand everything that He wants us to understand. But there are people, individuals as well as groups that would like to either omit certain portions of the Holy Word of God or twist certain portions are the whole Word of God. They're in confusion. 
Because of that, their lives are not pleasing to God. What we believe will have a great bearing on our actions, the way we live. The Pharisees, for example, we read on the passage concerning divorce, they thought they had a legal right and they were in good spiritual standing with God if they would divorce their wives for any reason, as long as they give her that certificate. Here is the piece of paper. That should be good enough. The Lord said, no. I didn't have divorce in mind when I created mankind. And you're not supposed to divorce for any old reason. The one explicit reason that the Lord had stated in the Gospels is concerning marital unfaithfulness. These people apparently were doing that anytime they felt justified that it's not working out. And I mentioned that term that people use all the time, irreconcilable differences. doesn't matter what terminology we adopt, what strategy we use, how we can cover up outright sin with fancy words. God sees through everything and He will require that at our hands. Now the other group, the scribes, one after the other, they came to test. They came to try to catch the Lord and His words. But this person that spoke up was trying to find out What is it? How are we supposed to understand the law? The other two groups, apparently they misunderstood. And they were supposed to be the experts, or at least knew much more than the average Jew. Should have known more. The scribes hearing this, one of them came up, and he wanted to know the truth. He heard them reasoning together. And something is turned on within him. A light went on. A light bulb. That I can rely upon Jesus. I need to know what he thinks. I want to know if, how I understand the scripture is actually right. Imagine if everyone were like that. When there's a confusion, when there seems to be an apparent discrepancy, when something is making us uncomfortable, we find some kind of problem that we encounter in Scripture. Shouldn't we go to the author? As we know a lot more than these people. 
shouldn't we go to God himself and say, Father, this is disturbing me. I know your scriptures are not wrong. I know you're not wrong. There's something wrong with me in my understanding. Or in the way people are interpreted this, Lord, please show me. And sometimes the Lord may show immediately. Sometimes it may take a while. It depends on the hunger and thirst of the individual and the truthfulness, the sincerity. God doesn't obligate himself to answer people who are less than sincere. But the devil is all too ready when he sees his fingerprints all over that person's life. Deception. This cry came and he said, which is the first commandment of all? What is the one that takes priority? Jesus answered him, the first or the foremost of all the commandments is here, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one this is called that Shema in the Jewish faith this creed this foundation this confession found in Deuteronomy 6 Hear O Israel the Lord our God the Lord is one they were amidst a polytheistic group of people all over the globe their neighbors everywhere Abraham their forefather was one of those people just like some of us and our forefathers have come from such a faith so called which involved many gods and as I've mentioned before many of these systems are quite pathetic the systems of belief why because you can never be sure which one of those multiplicity of gods really cares about you and which one hates you? Especially if that system of belief has gods and goddesses and they're all fighting each other. What assurance and what confidence, what stability does that worshiper have? It's a logical contradiction. But the truth came to Abram, who became Abraham, and to Isaac, and to Jacob, who became Israel, and to all the twelve tribes, and to Moses from the tribe of Levi. The law was given, revelation progressively about who this God is. He himself declared, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one. The Lord is one. I'm one. Three persons very obviously disclosed in scripture the father speaking to the son two distinct personalities this is my son with whom I'm well pleased and Jesus said when I go back to the father I will send you the comforter the Holy Spirit who proceeds from the father and from me. The Bible says the Spirit of God raised Jesus from the dead. 
The Holy Spirit spoke to the people. Not Jesus, not the Father, but the Holy Spirit. And yet, here are Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. It's far more than just the unity. There's a oneness that is truly beyond our human understanding. Something that we'll understand far more when we see the Lord. But we have enough revelation to show us that the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit are one in the divine essence. Even though there are three distinct personalities in the Godhead. They're not called three gods. God didn't say, Hero Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord are three in one. Or three distinct people. Therefore, three separate gods. No. One. It's a monotheistic faith. We serve one true God. In the other creeds and other religions, would consider themselves monotheistic, including the Jewish faith. When they read the scriptures without discernment, they end up with their own version of theology which means you have God who created everything and that's about it. There's no son of God who can understand. Yet the scriptures are replete with all the references to the son. Psalm 2, Psalm 110, Isaiah 53, so many scriptures. All the prophecies concerning the Messiah. Daniel 9, where the son of man, the son of God, went to the Father, the Ancient of Days, and took from his hand what he had to give him concerning eternal judgments. And you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, with all your strength. Some have said that Lord is Adonai and that God is Elohim. And the Greek here is Kyrios or Kyrios and God is where we get theology from Theos. In the Old Testament, you have Elohim, Adonai. You have a development over the years, Yahweh to Jehovah. But however we look at it, the scriptures are very clear. It's one God, not three gods. And he says that's the, the foundation. And because of that, he is the one true God. You should, here's the commandment, love the Lord your God with all your heart with all your soul and with all your mind 
and with all your strength. This is the first commandment. As we're speaking of this section here from these Jewish people asking Jesus, I recall how going to elementary school, after school was over, when everyone would be rushing to go home, relieved that the school day is over and we can go and play and do other things, I remember certain individuals would be excited to go to school after school. And that other school was a Hebrew school. These Jewish kids had school after school. However long that instruction was, they're all geared up to going to Hebrew school, no doubt. They understood that it's very, very important to our culture and religion. But how sad if a Hebrew school would acquaint one with the cultural aspects and the language, but would be devoid of the spiritual liberating truth of salvation through the Mashiach, the Messiah. That's what happens, unfortunately. But the point is the zeal with which even the youngsters, they'd be willing to go at the encouragement and requirement of their fathers and mothers, no doubt. But they were able to go to learn the Torah. Learn about this instruction of their God who gave the law from Sinai. How much more as we come together this morning and every time we come together, we're not coming here just to learn some background and have some commentary, but the truth that can transform our lives for eternity. And it takes some discipline. It takes us to be humble and to be eager to receive. And we have the element of praise and expectation. God will speak. Every part of God's word, every part of the scripture is God-breathed. This prophet for the person. How sad it is if someone would say, this is not too interesting to me. What I really like to hear about is this, this morning. How terrible if we don't come to God and say, Lord, all of these scriptures are good for me. It's profitable for me. For reproof, first of all, for doctrine, to know the body of truth, for reproof, showing what's wrong, for correction, to write that which is wrong, and for training in righteousness. Why? That every individual, that the man of God may be thoroughly furnished or thoroughly prepared for every good work. Hallelujah. And things that we're familiar with also, God will take us to a deeper level of understanding where it becomes, where it becomes very functional and practical in our spiritual lives, not just head knowledge. The question was posed, which is the greatest commandment? Jesus, you answer wisely to these guys who tried to catch you in your words, but I'm coming. Not all the scribes were like this, unfortunately, but at least this man came. He wanted to know, what is the first commandment? The Lord would say, the greatest. The first is, the Lord your God is one Lord. 
You've got to love him. This is what you need to do. Never mind the phylacteries and the washing of hands and the vessels and all of these things. The first thing is your heart. What's in that heart? Is the cup inside your heart dirty or clean? And is it empty with humility to receive God's blessing? You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind, and with all your strength. This is the first commandment. And the second is like, namely this, you shall love your neighbor as you love yourself. There's no other commandment greater than these. That's where he'll say that all of the law hangs on these two commandments. So the scribe said to him, Well said, teacher. You have spoken the truth. For there is one God, and there is no other but He. And to love Him with all the heart, with all the understanding, that is the mind, with all the soul, with all the strength, and to love one's neighbor as oneself. He goes further with his understanding, is more than all the whole burnt offerings and sacrifices. I can worship God in the prescription according to the law in different ways, including these whole burnt offerings and sacrifices. But if my heart is not in love with my God, with all that I am, if I don't love the person next to me or the person in need, if I don't demonstrate love, it's no use. All of the other stuff doesn't matter. Now when Jesus saw that, he answered wisely. He said to him, you are not far from the kingdom of God. But after that, no one dared question him. But if he had the right answer, if he understood the essence of the Jewish law, why didn't the Lord say, wonderful, you're in the kingdom. You've got it. Because he needs Jesus. The Lord is the fulfillment of all of the law. All of the law pointed to Christ, as Paul said. The whole law, every instruction, the Torah, was leading up as a tutor to the solution, the ultimate solution, the ultimate answer, the Savior, Jesus Christ. But after that, no one dared question him. We can trust the Lord. Praise God, he's wiser than us. Hallelujah. Because he is the truth, the way, the truth and the life, we can know that he's the all-wise God. We can know that any problem we have, if we are sincere, God will reveal and confirm 
the truth. We'll be on solid footing, solid ground. And we'll be like that person in Matthew 7 who built his life, his house, on the solid rock, which is equivalent to the teachings of Jesus Christ, the Word of God. By keeping the Word, will not be shaken. No storm will be able to shake that faith. That's what we desire. As we continue to read here, not too much more in this chapter. Then Jesus answered and said, while he taught in the temple, in Mark 12, verse 35, he had a question for them. How is it that the scribes say that Christ is the Son of God? Now, the Lord says, you're doing good with the knowledge you have, but let me introduce to you. Isn't that how God is? The person that's sincere comes to him and holds fast to what they know. They walk in the light according to what God has told them. God gives further light. He said, you're not far from the kingdom of God. Now, here comes the answer. How can you get in? You need to know that the Christ is God. There were people who knew that he was the Messiah. All his works were showing them. He said, if you don't believe me, at least believe me for the work's sake. Who can do this? Look at the prophecy. Do you see that blind eyes opening? The lame walking? Do you see and hear the good news preached to the poor? Exactly. From Isaiah. Being fulfilled. In front of you. He goes further with this question to give them the answer. How is it that the scribes, you're a scribe, now how is it that your group of people, your faction, say that Christ is the son of David? David himself said by the Holy Spirit, the Lord said unto my Lord, sit at my right hand till I make your enemies your footstool. You just told me there's one Lord, one God, How's David saying the Lord said to my Lord? The Christ is the son of David, but he's not just the descendant of David, the offspring. He is the root of David. As written in John 8.58, when the Lord said, Before Abraham was, I am. So here, the Lord is showing God Almighty, God the Father, speaking to the Son, God the Son. Equality, sit at my right hand. It's divine. Sit at my right hand, Son, till I make your enemies your footstool. Therefore, David himself calls his descendant Lord. How is he then his son? The common people heard him gladly. Now, he had a question for them, not just to stump them, but God is always looking to bring the truth to the people who are sincere. They may be sincerely wrong, 
but he's coming to bring truth so they can be sincerely right. Therefore, David himself calls him Lord. You believe in the Messiah? You're waiting for the Messiah? My Messiah is God himself. And the ones who stuck with him, they'd see more and more. What manner of man is this? His power over nature, his power over death, his power over devils. He has such compassion. He's touching the lepers. He's breaking societal laws to fulfill the higher law of love from God. The common people heard him gladly. Then he said to them in his teaching, that one scribe was surely an exception because now he speaks to a lot of them. He says, watch out crowd of the scribes. Typically, they desired to go around in long robes, love greetings in the marketplaces, the best seats in the synagogues, and the best places at feasts. But their heart really is utterly corrupt. They're ravening wolves. They're evil thieves. Because in verse 40, the Lord says also, not only do they like to be hailed as honorable people, they devour widows' houses. What would God do to people who take advantage of widows? Surely they'll go to the lowest hell. And so the Lord says as much in Matthew 23. Devour widows' houses. They're supposed to be defender of the people. Represent God to the people. They're the people who knew the word of God. They're supposed to hold the word of God properly. They actually deny the word of God by their actions. As the scripture says in the letters of the Apostle Paul, speaking by the Holy Spirit, it says they profess to be godly, but they deny God in their works. His people are looking to take advantage of the weak people, the marginalized people. They go and oppress the oppressed. And great hypocrisy, actors for pretense make long prayers. No wonder the Lord said, how can you ever get the honor that God wants to give you when you're so busy getting honor from one another? That's why at the beginning it was mentioned about awards, how God looks and what he thinks about people continually flattering one another, giving awards, getting awards, giving awards, getting awards, having nothing to do with God. There's no recognition of someone that's sincere, someone who loves the word of God, someone who's serving God. But these awards are to deify the people, to flatter each other. They are full of pretense. A society that is caught up in a satanic self-appraisal, which would give them great marks 
flying colors. And God sees them as utterly lost, blind, condemned. And so he says here, these will receive greater condemnation. Just as there are levels in heaven of honor, so there are degrees of punishment in hell. These will receive greater condemnation. The Lord said, to him that knew God's will but didn't do it, that person will be beaten with more stripes than the one who didn't know it and broke the law. We have so much that we've been given. The responsibility is that much greater. But the rewards are also that much greater. When we have a reverence for the living God, we say, Lord, I don't want to be like the scribes. As a group, I don't want to be like the Sadducees or the Pharisees or the chief priests or the elders. Lord, search me. Know my heart. Try me, Lord. If there's any wicked way in me. Cleanse me with hyssop and I'll be whiter than snow. Wash me, Lord, and help me to be innocent. Help me to be like you, blameless and harmless. Help me to be as a shining light in the midst of a crooked and perverse nation and generation. Help me to love you with all my heart, with all my soul, with all my strength, with all my mind, and to love my neighbor as I love myself. Let there be no hypocrisy in me, no acting, no pretense, no flattery. God have mercy. You've exposed so much of corruption in the human heart and society. I can't have anything to do with that. Let me walk in the fear of the Lord all the day long and praise you and keep your word. Therein is life. Life everlasting. This day could be a very godly day for us if we fear the Lord enough to say, Lord, today I choose to love you with all my heart, with all my mind, with all my soul, and with all my strength. And Lord, I will not get angry, be unforgiving, unjustly, holding people accountable, catching them by the throat. You've forgiven me such a great debt. Help me, Lord, to let go of offenses and love like you. I may dwell with you. You may dwell with me and in me for eternity. What peace will come? How the enemy will be scared of such a person is holy. And how that person will be used strategically by the Lord to damage the kingdom of darkness wherever they are placed on any given day. To God be the glory. Shall we pray? Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Help us to be people who extend your kingdom, Lord, freely. Because of great love for you, reverence for your word, obedience to your commandments. Oh, Lord, the many things that vie for our attention they come to distract and harass and hurt us. I thank you that there's a way as you slipped right through the people who have tried to destroy you.
And as you cut the crafty in their craftiness, there's no defeat in the path of the cross. I thank you, Lord, for giving us the opportunity and you're giving it again today to embrace the path of the cross, which is full of righteousness and truth and love. That we may attain unto that resurrection and receive the crown of life. Oh, Father, help each one of us to continue in the race valiantly to do your will only. Give us discernment, Lord. And help us, Lord, to be able to desire your soon return. We may be with you in glory forever. We thank you, Lord. We thank you, Lord. Father, you have many promises, including healing for all who would believe you. All would embrace your truth and all who would obey you. I pray that you minister your healing, Lord. Thank you for the word that washes us and sets us straight. It gives us direction and gives us the priorities of the day. It's all found in you. Father of glory, be glorified in each of us this day. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. And extend your hand, Lord, of mercy to heal your children especially your children, Lord, who you love so much. I thank you, Lord. You're working, Lord. You're helping, Lord. And you're moving by the Holy Spirit upon the hearts of different brothers and sisters to pray at different times for the relief, not only for themselves, but for each other. Thank you, Lord. Lord, come into your temple that the kingdom of God may come. Set us free to serve you. Bright, shining lights in this society that is so full of darkness. Help us to show them what you're like by the love that we manifest, Lord, sincerely. By the refusal to participate in that which is evil honor you thank and praise you thank you Father for your holy word thank you Jesus and thank you Lord in Jesus mighty name Amen praise God anyone who would like to pray you can go ahead and pray <laughs>